Welcome to the Apple of Truth, a weekly podcast where we cover every single episode of Lucifer while exploring plot holes and diving deep into all the details you never knew you needed. I'm Lena. And I'm Vero. And we both not only share a deep love for the show and its creators, but also for our glorious patrons who enrich our lives on more than one level. Today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 9, The Sinner Man. Which, once again, by the way, has a different title in German, because apparently Der Sündenmann would not be an appropriate title. The German title is Das Blatt wendet sich, or The Tide Turns. Uh-huh, great. Tell us what it's about. <laughs> I love your face. The Sinnerman is found and caught. A potential love triangle is set up. Pierce is fishy as fuck. Chloe is distracted by arms. And Lucifer is still way off his game. But Charlotte and Dan deliver us from boredom and anger in this episode. Just in case you didn't realize, I did not like this episode, except for one thing. Honestly, same. But I guess we have the next approximate two hours to change our minds about that, right? Speaking of this episode, the obsession of the week is annoyingly boring, and it is Der Sündermann. It is the Sinnerman. <laughs> Sünden, not Sünder. Sündenmann. Sündenmann. Yes. <laughs> I'm very proud of my German. <laughs> Der Sündemann. I have the same. So it was boring. It was obvious. And probably part of the reason why we're both not a real fan of the episode. Because when it is a boring obsession, we're both kind of like, Neh. there's really nothing new we can get from that. Surprisingly, this episode had literally no facts and fun. I, of course, have our usual information. We have a single credit director, Marisol Adler. We have a fifth time return writer with Jen Cao who also wrote Would Be Prince of Darkness, A Two Doctor, My Little Monkey and Candy Morningstar. So, mix back. Well, I will not count this episode either for Lucifer Says the Title nor against because literally everyone says the title. Eh, fair enough. The next segment is a little longer than we are used to. It is information-packed because we are getting back to something we have not seen in way too long, which is the main plot of this season, apparently. Meta plot! Or is it? <laughs> to the point! Previously on Lucifer. Ella is convinced Pierce is into Chloe, he actually kind of seems like he is for a second, Linda struggles with the knowing about the divine, but Ains helps her through it, Maze is still off bounty hunting, Charlotte asks Ella to help her to be good, and ends up taking a job in the DA office, Cinderman is real and Pierce tried to take him down before, Cinderman also knocked Lucy out and left him in a desert with wings and gives out favors, so Lucy decides to get back to it as well. Nicely summarized. It's very much packed with the information about the first two episodes of this season, which is, sorry, seven episodes ago. Thank you. Do we start with a song? We sure do. I thought so. As it is our tradition now, the moment we get into Lux, we get a song. And this time we get Reckless by Jackson Gamble. But the song already starts when we're outside at the lion. And yes, it kind of sits well with the fact that we have Joey character trying to get inside with just a single dollar bill, cutting the line, actually getting inside. It is all very reckless. I did not see it coming that he would get in. All in all, it is an okay opening. I don't have complaints or anything. I very much appreciated the random Alan reference Lucifer does. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's good. I appreciated that a lot. So Ellen apparently is a thing in the Lucyverse. Good to know. I did have a bit of an issue with the whole behavior that we see Joey go through because I found it curious that he not only gets in but has the face of innocence it even felt like and he asks for help or for a favor and I immediately distrusted him as a character. Oh, I did not. I was immediately like, this seems way too good, nice, whatever type of a character. I do not trust this guy. For me, it was, oh boy, you're such a baby. You're in over your head. Also, the fact that this episode is titled The Sinner Man, it made me think that maybe Joey is working for The Sinner Man and he's trying to get in to somehow... Wow. Yes, my conspiracy brain went all out in this moment. You had much more fun than I did. I got distracted by the bored look on the face of the woman on Lucifer's right side. Oh god. Do you realize who you're sitting next to? Look, it's Tom Ellis. I mean, Lucifer. Whoever of the two, how can you be bored? Exactly. You're at a great club. The music is great. You have an alcoholic drink in your hand. That you didn't pay for. I can guarantee you that. How can you look so bored? Yes. So that is where my brain focused on and I would prefer to have your conspiracy brain. You're more than welcome inside my brain anytime you want. Speaking of coming inside the brain of another person... Ah, speaking of coming inside. (laughs) That's what he said. We move over to Linda's office and a therapy session, which seems to be more Linda has questions that need to be answered. And once again, she has a very good question. Because we have not talked about angel powers enough. And we still don't get any answers. And I'm angry because had we gotten any kind of answers, this is what my devils in the details would have been about. But with the tiny pseudo tidbit we get, sorry, not even I can base anything on that. This whole situation, we had Lucifer allude to the fact that desire essentially is free will. He says desire is the ultimate expression of free will. However, he says that him having the power of drawing out desires is the ultimate expression of a free will that is perfect for him. But what I'm trying to say here, Lucifer, you didn't choose your powers. You didn't get it out of your free will. It was God-given, as you just said a second ago. And he says God-given, not dead-given. That's true. But the point is, how can you classify that as a free will if it was given to you by somebody who you hate being controlled by in your own words. So this is kind of an interesting twist on uh, what Lucifer thinks. Let me counter. Go for it. He does not refer to his power as being the expression of free will, but desire in itself. And since he is such a champion of free will, it is a perfect fit that drawing out desire is his power. That makes sense. Also, you just glanced over the mean, but also kind of hilarious Harry Potter reference with the Hogwarts in the sky. I have more on that in the next scene. Ah, okay. Then we're going to shelve it for there. So I have a question for the entire scene, though. Yes, go on. It feels to me as if 
Lucifer has never even considered questioning his powers, their reasoning or their relevance. Is that just me or do you agree that this is how it comes across? It does. And I, I am not surprised, to be honest. Are you not? No. I know that he questions a lot of things, but I feel like he is so used to having the powers that he is not questioning where they come from. It's the same way as that you don't question the ability to speak. I wondered about this because to me, everything that he has received from his father is something that he has either struggled with or rebelled against or physically cut off his body. Oh no, I know what you're saying. That he has never even seemed to consider questioning this feels very out of character with the rebel Lucifer. So either my impression is wrong and he is deflecting or he actually didn't and it's out of character. So I am confused. I don't think so. I think that it's very well with the character because I don't think that he questions everything. I think that he questions everything that goes against what he thinks. And I think that him having his powers is part of his nature. He's an angel. His wings are also part of his nature and he still cut them yeah, off. Yeah, but that's different because there is a physical manifestation to it and he wants to stick it to his father. Being able to draw out people's desires has served him well and I could see him questioning if he would ever lose this power in the future. If he would question that. It's just part of his factory settings. That's all I have for the therapy. I hope that made it slightly easier too. I still disagree with you, but I can see what you mean. Okay. Now we move over to the precinct. <sighs> and I don't have many notes on this scene. Four. Four very quick notes. One. Yes, Chloe should have knocked. Two. Why is Pierce naked? Three. Why doesn't he give her the day? And four. What does she need the day for? That's all I have to say about this scene. So he's half-dressed, not naked. Ah, details. Let's not be American. We are European my dear. I know, but he was still underdressed for his work settings. Yes, but he was not naked. Naked is naked. I knew that I should have written down half naked. Yes. But I didn't. And here we are. You do know me, Vero. That is true. I went on a caps lock rage. Why is he such an asshole? A personal day is a personal day and it's none of your fucking business. Give her the fucking day. Screw you, asshole. And so on. But I have a question. How long does it take Pierce to heal from a gunshot wound. Chloe didn't lag around that long when she was shot and she never complained that it hurt like a bitch. Well, I think that comes down to where you get shot because I feel like his injuries were very serious. He got shot in the gut. Did he though? Yeah, that's where he was bleeding from. You know, in the scene where she was holding her hand to his throat instead of to the wound that was actually bleeding and I was complaining that her hand was at the wrong position. Where did Chloe get shot? We don't see exactly where Chloe was shot, but it seems to be in the shoulder. Yeah, so shoulder. Chest area, which to me also very potentially delicate. Shoulder injury, as long as your arm is fixed, it's not that much of an issue. I think that guts injury is way worse because it's way more difficult and complicated to repair. Eh. I don't know. I am not a doctor. He's a sniveling whiner and should just shut his fucking mouth. Listen, you just hate him. I understand. I hate him too. Also, foreshadowing, he's just pretending. Later 
on, he carries around a fucking table with his bulging biceps. We will talk about the table and why would he need to carry around the table around the precinct when we get to it. When he's hurt. There has nothing to do if he's hurt or not, but we'll get to it. Yeah, nothing else by me, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is all rage binge that we're gonna go on eventually. <laughs> we need to sprinkle it in a little bit throughout the entire episode just so people don't turn off the episode just because we are on this raging bitch fest. Well, the next scene I have zero complaints but praise and impressed behavior on my part. Why? Because Lucifer is actually being open with Chloe for once? No, by the level of violence that got depicted on the show. You, 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 you. I had a lot of you cups. I did not expect that. I appreciated a lot. You. Also, a runner for the mob with broken legs. <laughs> That's the kind of humor I find funny. Okay. <laughs> well, you know me. And also, a few months ago, Lucifer started granting favors again. Nine episodes, and it has been months since the season started. Yeah, it feels like it. It feels like years, but I did not expect that that much time has passed inside the show. So this was a surprise, but I appreciate that we are given at least some grasp how much time has passed. So I really like this scene because it gives me much needed context and information and also I love body horror and I appreciated the pun. Yep, I was very much grossed out by the close-ups on the legs. However, I am actually kind of surprised that Chloe was unaware or surprised that Lucifer is granting out favors because it should not be shocking because it is Lucifer after all and especially lately he's been getting back to his original behavior which we were criticizing but regardless, she knew about that. See, this is where my complaint from the last episode came from and is based on. It feels to me like they are jumping between Chloe and Lucifer have a deep understanding of each other and Chloe and Lucifer live in two separate worlds. Last episode... We had a deep understanding and trust and relationship between the two of them as friends based on the necklace and interaction and yada yada yada. And here we have a total disconnect between the two characters. And this is what is so grating to me. Because it's either or. We can't have both at the same time. Yeah. Anyway, disconnect and stuff. But also, what a stupid desire to have, Joey. Don't shame people. It's better than pooping in a bull pit. Yes, but... He He's dead now. It was not his desire to be dead. But later on we learned that everyone in the mob loved him. He was super successful there. So apparently his desire led him where he was supposed to be. Like he was following his calling. Eh. As weird and fucked up as it is. Yeah, whatever. You're right. It's just, you know, like throwing yourself into a pool with sharks and hope you're gonna survive it. You really wanted to swing with sharks. It was your true desire. But it's gonna make you dead. Yeah, but people do go swimming with actual sharks and I'm like, hey, you do you, I'm not gonna join you. You do you, happy dying. Basically, yeah. Okay, so we move over to scene five. 
And this is where my caps lock kitis infected my scene titles because I titled this scene No Triangle Fuck You No. I feel that in my bones. Because I was so happy when Mace came back and it was like referred to that she's back from a bounty and she's now banned in Ohio, which is great. And then it got weird. Okay, we start this with Ames and Linda just chatting and Linda is telling him about the conversation that she had with Lucifer. Angel school. Yeah, and they mentioned the angel school. And I'm completely and totally with Linda because how is she supposed to know that it's certain way or not? Come on. Yeah, I'm fully there. And I also really enjoyed the dynamic between the two of them, hanging out, chatting, joking. Again, I love them being friends. It makes me happy. And it works really well for both of the characters. Exactly. And then Mace shows up and her joy in the beginning when she's back and she embraces Linda and gropes her ass and pats the butt and everything. I was there for it. Everything was great. Until Mace looked differently at Amanadiel and Linda and insinuated that they are more than friends. And we have two cliches here that I hate. The one cliche is the one we already talked about, that men and women can be friends. And more often than not, TV and movies insist on proving that men and women cannot be friends. And the other thing that I hate, 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 hate is that you have a beautiful friendship between two men or two women. And then a man or a woman comes between their friendship, either deliberate or by accident or whatever. And I hate that. I'm actually on one hand glad that you're mentioning it now, because then this is something that is gonna get addressed in this episode and I love the way they handle it. And I also hate it. I love it and I hate it at the same time and we're gonna talk about it at the end. I know what you mean. But what I'm trying to say is that to me this approach is very maze. This is very much lined up with how we have come to know and love maze, where she immediately assumes things that may or may not be true and just expects everything in a certain way. I don't know if it's experience in the past or if it's just her fucked up brain and abandonment issues and stuff like that but it did not surprise me at all that her mind immediately went there it made me angry that she was right exactly that's the problem yeah but that made absolute sense that her mind went there immediately. For me, the reasoning why her mind goes there is that Mace is a hypersexual creature and she wanted to sleep with Linda to pay her for therapy very, very much in the beginning. So for Mace, everyone is fucking everyone all the time. So character-wise, it makes perfect sense that her brain goes there. But the awkwardness that is instantly there for Amanadiel and Linda on the couch... That is my issue. Did not make that clear. My issue is not Mace. Okay, in that case, we're 100% on the same page. Because at this point, I was like, no, 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 no. Please don't give me a triangle. Please, no, 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 no. Yeah, well, we're gonna get to that in the next scene in Linda's office. But for now, let's go back to the precinct where Lucifer is calling back your favorite episode, Sweet Kicks. Yes, I also have that note. It's a fucking self-reference with the super ugly expensive shoes. And I have to say, the shoes they have on the table are not even close as ugly as the ones in Sweet Cakes. That is something that we forever will disagree on. Yes, one of the many things. (laughs) 
part of the many things. Also, I absolutely love Charlotte in this scene. Yes. Again, and I'm sorry, this is gonna be repeato theme for me in this episode. Every second with Charlotte is amazing and I'm so happy because last episode, it was cringy with her and Ella and the dynamic. But this episode, everything is perfect and I love it. It's great that she's now on the side of good and still with the alleged. Yeah, I agree. Even Ella is handling having Charlotte around a little bit better. It's still not up to the standard that I expect her to be, but it is much better. And I find it hilarious that even though she's known about Charlotte's transfer before, she is completely glazing over it. She did not share it with anybody in there. She tried to ignore it. She (laughs) decided to pretend that it never happened and it's not going to affect her work. I love it. That is very Ella, I have to say. She's in denial. Absolute freaking denial. I'm in love with that. And I'm with you. That is Ella. That is her seeing the world as she decides to view it, just like she thinks Pierce is the bee's knees and like she insisted that the comedian ages back was great and charming. So now we're back to Ella behaving like Ella. (laughs) My next note is that I was right about Joey being bad news. (laughs) However, I probably saw it in a little bit different way originally. And I still had a pretty false impression of what was happening there right now because now I was convinced that he was trying to cheat the mob and got murdered for it. Which, as it turns out a little bit later, is not the case. And again, I did not focus on any conspiracy brain. I was completely focused on Charlotte and a bit on Ella. So thank you for the brain share. Also, I just wanted to say, I love the naming of Frankie the Knife because it's just so old schooly mobster. It just makes me very happy. That definitely, 100%. And obviously, Charlotte Charlotte has represented him before. The scene was priceless. Yes, I really appreciated it. I loved it. Charlotte in there is amazing. Everything about this is great. But now, before we actually go to Frankie, we have to return to Linda's office. And the most horrible scene in the history of scenes. Well, one of my three notes is I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. One half of my second note is, I hate it. I have a beautiful one that's gonna go really well with yours. It's in all caps, BOO, NO KISSING! BOO, YOU'RE SUPPOSED TO BE FRIENDS! Yeah, I titled this scene, Yes, Hetero People Can Be Friends. Yeah, we've had this conversation last episode already. We're not gonna go back into it. So that sadly is all I have to say for this scene, because anything else is just gonna be a repetition of complaint. I'm just disappointed, you know, I'm not even angry as, as anymore, I'm just disappointed. Let's head over to the precinct so we can actually appreciate Frankie the Knife. And I love this scene. I mean, we've already alluded to the fact that the two of us love this scene because Charlotte is such a bad DA and it's perfection and I adore it and I was laughing, actually laughing while watching this. I kind of adored Frankie 
once he comes clean. Of course, they want to kill whoever did this, but he seems to genuinely have cared for the dude, and it was kind of sweet. So I was there for it. It was heartwarming. Yep, for sure. This scene is hilarious. We get, actually, I'm just gonna mention it now here. I'm gonna come back to it in the later scene. Lucifer gets his first phone call from an unknown number. Yes, 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 yes. I didn't actually write down, but since we come back to it a little bit later on, I made a mental note to point this out. I wrote it down in the next scene. Same. (laughs) I love that we're in agreement. We both noticed it in the same scene, didn't think to write it down, and then wrote it down in the same scene. We do have Charlotte somehow getting into the interrogation with them and somehow trying really hard. You don't have to tell them that. (laughs) Old habits die hard, as she is proving to us. And it's beautiful, it's hilarious, and it's a greatly handled scene. It's so good. I know I've said this before. Fuck me. Trisha Helfer acting Charlotte is life. It's amazing. I do have a note here about the camera and directing because we get this beautiful kind of a slide of the camera towards the door when Dan enters and it just made me very happy. The cinematography of that moment and in general in this episode was aesthetically pleasing. Especially at the end, I feel. We do have a lot of kind of cutting back and forth, especially at the beginning, which gives us quite high-paced episode, which I was kind of fine with. I think it made it more palatable for myself. It made it more familiar because this is how you're used to Stenroy's television shows. And I feel like the longer the episode goes on, the fancier the camera work becomes, which actually makes sense because you kind of get more tension with that. So keep in mind, single credit only. The lady is not coming back. The lady is doing a really good job, though. Maybe she returns in season six. Who knows? No credits for that yet on IMDb. So at the end of the scene, we have as I just mentioned, Dan walking in with a new case. Which brings us to the next scene. To the second crime scene. And I appreciated several things about this scene and I was unhappy with a few, but not too many. Once again, and I put this down to writing, so Jen Kao, thank you. I found it extremely important that this was an old favor. So it's not about recent people, but this is all the way back. And to me, that was extremely important. Mm -hmm, Because it's not an attack on what he's doing now. It's an attack on himself. Exactly. So I really appreciated this slight side sentence. Also, I wanted to point out, I'm pretty sure you also have it. Ella, amazing shirt. Oh, I actually don't. What is she wearing? Uh, sign language on her shirt it's great ah that is very good so shout out Ella's wardrobe they really really are getting into it mm-hmm. and I also have the repeated unknown caller ID he has to answer this at some point because it's bound to be important otherwise it would not be repeatedly shown that he's pushing away the call. So far, my praises. Also, it's getting more apparent that he's getting a call and it's our attention is drawn to it more, the way it is handled. So it will become important. And my idea on this, my conspiracy brain strikes again, that the unknown caller is the cinnamon trying to mock Lucifer for the murders, Ooh. but being constantly thrown into the voicemail because Lucifer just doesn't pick up unknown numbers and 
and I find this headcanon absolutely hilarious. Just imagine the Sinnerman on the phone getting ready, having written down the text what he's gonna tell to Lucifer. It's like, aha, this is so evil. Good, evil plan. Ah, I'm so good. I'm gonna take something from the next scene and say it now. In the next scene, we do learn that it is actually a Sinnerman calling him. And now, can you actually picture the Sinnerman repeatedly calling Lucifer and getting hung up on? Which is just like, okay, so you're sitting there and you're on dial repeat, dial repeat, dial repeat until he answers? Really? Don't you have like henchmen? Don't let me start on henchmen just yet. I'm gonna have a whole tangent about that later. Now there is a moment when I need to talk about yet another Harry Potter reference. I don't know why this just happened to me in my brain. So at this stage, this is a Harry Potter reference in my head. Okay, and I was like, oh my god, did I miss it? It's not actually happening there. But in my head, Lucifer decides to come clean about the whole cinema. Sinnerman. Sundanman. Matter of time. I'm surprised that it took this long. Say Zundanman. Zundanman. No, Zunden. Zundanman. Yes. About this whole Zundanman issue. And this is how Lena died. Drowned on her drink by making me speak German. That was perfection. Thank you. I love you. So Lucifer finally decides to come clean to Chloe about the Sinnerman. And out of nowhere, in the best possible moment, halfway through the sentence, just like Severus Snape has proven is his perfect timing issue, I can see Pierce standing behind the corner waiting for the perfect timing for him to show up and say, I'm here, dramatically enters. The Sinnerman is real. (laughs) Because he doesn't even say, hi, I'm here or anything like that. He just walks in and right off the bat says, the Sinnerman is real. It's just, could you be any more dramatic? You are 120% correct and I wish I would have thought of this because I only had, we have Pierce joining the scene in exactly the right moment, but you are right. He had to have been waiting behind the door to join the conversation exactly in this moment. And I fully agree with you. This is now our hat cannon. This is real. I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you and I love you. Thank you for pointing this out. Listen, as it turns out later on and gets confirmed, Marcus Pierce is actually a horrible stalker. <laughs> Oh, yes, he is. We're gonna be talking about that soon. Yeah, this is the first moment when we see a hint of that and we will see more on that topic later. You just made me like and appreciate this episode so much more. Thank you, Vero. This is why we do this podcast together. What can I say except you welcome? And I really appreciate it. So, yeah, that's all I have for this scene. Because my brain did not go into the ranges that your brain went. Listen, Christmas is coming up soon. I'm really busy at work and my brain is really tired. It doesn't take much to go there. Your tired brain is brilliant. Thank you. So let's move over to the penthouse where Mace is waiting to talk with Lucifer. And he is not listening. And he gets a call and he finally decides to answer the call. But before we actually get to the call, Mace just leaves. And I was like, okay, so does this really mean she 
was only in the penthouse to complain to Lucifer that Amenadiel and Linda might be a thing? I think she's there because she needs to talk to someone and the only person she can talk to right now, because this is about the only person she would normally talk to, is Lucifer. And of course, now that she's actually leaving and Lucifer is answering the phone call. Before we he actually answers the phone call, I would like to point out that the first thing that Lucifer tells to Maze is a compliment. Yes, that was really sweet. And I mean, her hair is great. Her hair is 100% amazing. But I just wanted to point that out because I think that is so different from the relationship that we saw in season one. And even talking and seeing season one Maze a couple episodes ago in the Reese episode, seeing that comparison and having that relationship on display, how it looked when this show first started, and now seeing the fact that Lucifer, literally the first thing, he says is that her hair looks great or whatever the wording was. Even though he doesn't pay as close attention to her as she wants him to in that moment, he pays more attention to her than he has in the past. Exactly. Which is not enough, but it is progress. It is progress. And that is why I think that it was worth mentioning. Absolutely. So, like I said before, the picture in my brain of the cinnamon just recalling, redialing Lucifer's mobile is fucking hilarious. And especially when we meet the cinnamon later on, it's even more hilarious because I kind of can picture him with like a rotary phone. So it's gonna take five minutes to redial the number. Oh my god. Yeah, that was where my brain went later on. I was there for it. And we go over to the precinct. Oh. And Ella is a miracle worker as we've seen before and as usual for me I appreciate it when my favorite characters are presented as being competent. Also Chloe gets distracted by arms. So Pierce was yammering about how his gunshot wound hurt like a bitch and now he carries around heavy tables because you can see the biceps bulging so the table is heavy and he has no issue doing that so I say fish something smelling weird I say his wound is not hurting and he was actually fishing for sympathy by Chloe I say this entire scene is complete bullshit and (laughs) since when does a lieutenant need to carry heavy furniture around an office in the middle of the day while he was shot I have an explanation. Is it just so he can impress Chloe? No. What's your explanation then? We have been repeatedly shown that apparently Pierce is everybody's darling. Everyone likes Pierce, except Chloe, Lucifer and Dan. And Lena and Vero. Yeah, sorry, inside the show. So him being a team player, him helping out his fellow officers. But that still doesn't explain why would you need to move heavy furniture around the office in the middle of the day in the first place. Because something can up like seriously that is something i know from my actual job sometimes you just have to move shit around because of reasons that actually does happen i just find it interesting that they would even ask him or let him do it if everybody loves him so much he offered nobody asked him i'm saying that if everybody loves him so much as you describe i don't understand why they would let him because he's their boss and you say hey you were shot you shouldn't be carrying around heavy furniture 
It's okay. I got this. He bats his gorgeous eyes and flexes his bicep and then everybody just swoons. I'm being an asset about this, so... Yeah, I hate it. But the only thing about this bit of a scene that I appreciated is the fact that even though Chloe was distracted as fuck, she still thanked Ella for a job well done. So at least she still has this working for her yeah but the scene gets worse because then pierce is all like hey i'm gonna join you blah 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 he is now hitting on her right yeah this is obvious official him insinuating himself into her surroundings trying to spend time with her and it's just like dude the last time you went with chloe on on anything you got shot And you nearly got Chloe killed as well, by the way. So how about no? But regardless if it is okay or not, Chloe decides to bring Charlotte with her instead of Pierce, which is the best. I love it. And I can't wait that we get there. Yep. Before we get there, we do head over to Lucifer. And I have two things to say before we actually get into that scene. One is uh, that car is back again. This is the second time in this episode. I didn't mention it the first time, but I am as per usual in love with the car and also we get a song playing and the song's name is Cold Blood by Valen which unfortunately is a YouTube song only sad it's a good song there's four songs in this episode which is very very low number I was about to say in comparison to our usual and one of those songs is YouTube only so we didn't really extend our playlist much But we do what we can. We do what we can. This scene gave me emotional whiplash because it was, I love it. I hate it. I love it. I hate it. I love it. I hate it. (laughs) Okay, I get it now. (laughs) Because the scene starts, he's driving there. His driving style is super aggressive. He gets out of the car. He basically crashes through the gate, just rips the chain off. And I was like, yeah, Lucifer, zero chill. I'm here for it. Give me more. And then he walks into this super obvious trap. And I'm like, really? It's Lucifer. When Lucifer is upset, he has tunnel vision. It was too obvious for me, even for Lucifer in this moment. And then you have this hilarious setup with the camera, but the ancient TV? Because it's an ancient TV. And the, my tech heart was like, oh, how did they set that up? So I was, again, appreciating the moment and everything. And I kind of thought that we had a established that he did not need eye contact we did not au contraire we did establish that he needs eye contact to do that if he needs eye contact why would staring into the webcam make any difference i don't know yeah i was completely confused i was confused about the fact that it will work through a camera but it won't work through sunglasses yeah like where is the limit and i again i really appreciated that the cinnamon seems to actually believe that Lucifer is the devil. So again, I was like, yeah, nice, I'm on this. So 
what I drawn out of this scene, even though Lucifer is stuck in there and he tries to get out, in order to be stuck stuck the way he is, as you just said, the sinner man must have a working knowledge of what Lucifer's powers are. So that's kind of interesting to see. But also, I find it curious that he would somehow assume that Lucifer will not be able to get out eventually, because he does mention at some stage that maybe they're gonna tear the building down on top of him or with him inside. They do that. So it's like, hmm, that's interesting. But even if it's just like a temporary solution, this means that the Sinnerman is not trying to kill him. He's not trying to imprison him forever. So delaying Lucifer is the goal, but we don't understand why. And we do not find out until the end of the episode. And was it enough or not? We're gonna talk about that at the end. He does get out eventually and probably sooner than the Cinderman anticipated, but was it enough for him to do his plan or whatever was supposed to happen? We go over to another scene that I enjoyed a lot. Before they walk inside, Chloe and Charlotte are sitting in the car and Chloe is specifically repeating that Charlotte needs to follow the instructions that she's been given. Which Charlotte swears she would. And it's so obvious that she won't. So before we actually get into the meat of this scene, I just want to point out there is this really, really good song playing in the background as they walk inside called There She Is, which There They Fucking Are by Johnny Amoroso. And it is the tidbit that I have for you in Devils in the Music this week in our bonus episode for Believers patrons only. Bestest of people. I enjoyed very much the dynamic between Chloe and Charlotte and I am really looking forward to see more of DA Charlotte in the precinct interacting with Chloe on cases. Even how the scene plays out that Chloe knew that Charlotte would fail at certain parts and I get that Charlotte is not happy that she was not let in on the plan but she needs to learn the ropes. She needs to be able to control herself to not fall back onto old behaviors like she did in the interrogation with Frankie. Yeah. Also though, I would like to point out that Chloe is dealing with Charlotte thinking that mom was Charlotte. She has built a rapport and a relationship with Charlotte while she was somebody else. And I don't know about you, but I keep forgetting that... Chloe thinks she's the stepmom? Well, not specifically, but I keep forgetting that Chloe has a relationship with this person. And it's not a great one, no. And Charlotte doesn't know the relationship. She doesn't know the details. She doesn't know what happened between them. So on one hand, I was slightly pissy about Chloe using Charlotte this way without even giving her a notion. But at the same time, on the other hand, it makes absolute sense because of the history that they have. Exactly. And that's why I enjoy it so much. And so sadly, Charlotte leaves. And in... In a real stalking fashion... It's it's even worse because Pierce is leaning on a motorcycle. Well, we knew that he's riding a motorcycle, right? So this brings me to another fun tangent that I had prepared for you. Ooh, gimme, gimme, gimme. It's not really, but this made me super upset because what 
does it mean for him to show up there? That means that he was either following her from the beginning or he orchestrated and made her think what she was trying to do. He must have known that she was gonna stake the place out. Otherwise, why would he bring food? He must have known when exactly Charlotte left. Otherwise, it would not work well with the timing and the phone call and the bag of food. It's creepy as fuck. And I hate it and it's not making me like him more. It really is not. I have zero disagreement with you. Of course you are right, this is stalking behavior and it is intentional and everything. Do you know what upsets me? That she doesn't see it. That she doesn't realize that he must have had watched her or followed her or something in order to know that she's gonna need food while being on a stakeout or whatever. Yeah, like I said, I I agree fully with you there, but I feel that this is set up in a way that he is painted in cool strokes and thus it is okay that he's doing this. He shows up with a motorcycle, he brings food, he is attractive, he is more or less charming. So his, as you pointed out, hugely problematic behavior, so many red flags, is being wrapped in the classic, this is cute, this is romantic, he's a rebel. And I don't like this type of storytelling. I really, really like that you are completely ignoring the cutesy rapping and are only focusing on the problematic shit. Because Side note, you are the person who said, oh, I never see the problematic shit. You need to point it out to me. And girl, you're doing a great job this episode. Thank you. So into the official part of the trap. I was very much in agreement with Lucifer when he complains about being bored because so was I at this setup of his trap. Well, it just kind of supports the theory of he's not being held there to be hurt. He's being held there to be delayed. Yeah, but being delayed is boring, so... <laughs> oh yeah, 100%. But I absolutely love everything about Mace showing up, Mace trying to talk to Lucifer, Mace shutting Lucifer back in, Mace waiting until Lucifer fucking realizes what the game is, Mace opening up, hawking, listening to Lucifer, and coming to a proper realization, and later on following through on that. So as much as I dislike the trap part for Lucifer, I highly, highly, highly appreciate and love dearly everything relating to Mace in this. Yep, this scene is gold. It's amazing. Lucifer says, think of someone else's needs for a change to Mace, which absolutely... Classic Lucifer. Coming from Lucifer. Yes, classic Lucifer. Which is a nice return to the actual character, because this side of Lucifer has been missing for a bit. Yes. Also, what I love about this scene is they both are being completely unreasonable. (laughs) Both of them. But for the first time in a long time, or the first time ever, I can think of anyway, Lucifer does not have the power in this situation. He does not have the power to leave. When he owes her one and she asks for him to pour him a drink, it's the only time in the past where we had also a power differential that was not in Lucifer's favor. Yeah, but he still could have chosen to leave that situation. He doesn't have the option to physically leave right now. And it's great. It's amazing. And I love that he actually manages to be helpful to her. Yeah. 
Yes. He's actually giving really good advice. Yeah, it was shocking. I know. Same. And he says, what would you do if you knew? And then he says, ask yourself what you truly desire and be honest with yourself. Because what is the point of a voice? Which is such a good add-on. Yeah. Which both of these things are very much in sync with Lucifer's way of living as well. So this is him being fairly himself, essentially. So I just really appreciated the situation. And it was, of course, it was very entertaining. I just kind of wish he would be more honest with himself sometimes. Well, yes, but that would mean that the river in Africa would (laughs) have to be... The river in Africa would be dry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice callback. We have to return to the stakeout. Unfortunately, yeah. My main note or comment or whatever on the scene is, why are you here? Yeah. So that is my main issue. Well, he's there to charm Chloe. Yeah, obviously. But what is his actual official reasoning to be there? So apart from that, we have this bonding moment where he talks about the brother he lost, which then causes Chloe to talk about her father's death and her father's killer. And she literally says that she does not talk to anyone about it. Why are you talking to Pierce then? Because this is a situation where he shared something deeply personal about himself and she is, as a normal human often would do, she is reciprocating because he showed his vulnerability. And now she's decided to reciprocate that. Which speaks very strongly for Chloe because she is being extremely extremely perceptive in this scene. Classic Chloe. She immediately knows, notices there is something wrong with Pierce. She calls him out on it and she asks what the story is. She wants to know what's happening with him and he shares and she shares back. I know that it's hateable but also No, no, I hate it. You're right. Oh. It's all good. It's all good. You're right. It all makes sense. I just hate the fact that you are right and <laughs> I have no actual base to hate on this scene as much as I am inside of me. So we then get a phone call by Lucifer to Chloe and we get some much needed exposition which also gives this episode something that at least for me has been severely lacking and that is tension. I have severe issues with this. But at least do you agree with me that now finally we get some tension and we needed it? Kind of. For me this was just too easy. To me, watching this entire scene... No, but but wait, 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 wait. The solution and the confrontation is the next scene. No, 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 no. What I mean is that they see this guy walking in and Lucifer just conveniently calls in. I'm okay with that. But what I'm not okay with is the fact that we have this big bad Cinderman. He has a mysterious nickname. The way they presented us with this character seems to be he's this big boss that has like so many people working for him. I do not understand how it is that everybody's so quickly to accept the fact that this dude 
would do his own dirty work. What? Where are we going with this? Is this really where you want to go with this? And then we go to the next scene with the confrontation. Chloe following, saying to Pierce, you have to cut him off, sending Pierce outside around the long way. Chloe being competent at her job, like using the reflection and everything. Really, really well done. I enjoyed the confrontation inside the kitchen a hell lot. It was nicely shot, very well choreographed and everything. And this, once again, like we mentioned before, is an example of great camera work. I enjoyed this scene a lot. Yes, it was very good. We see that Chloe is a competent shooter, unlike the time where she randomly tried to kill somebody. She's a great shooter until she's not, when plot reasons demand she's not. And just like you said, the entire time the shooting and confrontation, everything was happening, in the back of my brain, I was like, are we really doing this? Is this really what's gonna happen? And then they catch him. And for me, at this moment, I literally wrote down, this is obviously not the cinnamon, because otherwise we wasted our meta plot for the season in episode nine. And then the episode did something that gave me hope for a second... And then it didn't. Because you see the cinnamon slip something up his sleeve. And I was like, okay, is that a silver pen or like a scalpel or something? A, where did he get it from? And B, what is he gonna do with that? And my expectation, the cinnamon was gonna give them the slip, go middle finger up, painted in blood of the people who transport him, leave a gruesome message and be just like, ha ha, I taunted you. And then we would continue with the meta plot in the next few episodes. That was my expectation expectation but sadly that's not where we went so there is a few things in this scene that are super obvious and super weird (laughs) for one we get pierre spinning the dude down and the cinnamon's reaction is do what you gotta do that's a very weird thing to say if you ask me to me this means that he's trying to get pierce to shoot him why would he do that i didn't read it as trying to get pierce to shoot him it was the i have so much control of the situation it doesn't even matter if you shoot me well either way it's something that it didn't ring true in this situation it was very weird it felt out of place then lucifer shows up obviously after everything comes down again too late like we had before Then we have the question, is this the situation that the Cinnamon was trying to keep Lucifer away from? Most likely because Lucifer wants to confront the Cinnamon by getting eye contact and he's being kept from him. That's another thing that I was going to say. So Lucifer shows up after everything already happened and we see Lucifer trying to talk to the Cinnamon but being stopped by Chloe and the Cinnamon giving him a look of... uh, (laughs) haha, yo, whatever, you think you can talk to me. It's just kind of this really weird moment, which feels like there is way more to it than they're actually trying to pretend there is. And that's convinced me of the same theory that you presented, that he is gonna try to escape. And that he's gonna manage. Or kill himself. He's just gonna do something that is gonna prevent Lucifer from talking to him. And in one way, that was right, but also, like, what the... just very very weird very wrong there is a lot of bits in this scene that it just irked me yes it rubbed me the wrong way i'm there with you well let's get out of this very uncomfortable scene and get into something that i actually super enjoyed and that is the scene where mace comes to confront linda one thing i'm gonna put out there immediately i am convinced that emanadiel was somewhere in that room he was hiding behind the couch i'm 100 sure i was thinking inside the couch and mace was sitting on top of him somehow <laughs> 
Yes. But the good thing about this scene. So Mace spends all day thinking about the situation and she comes back to Linda and actually manages to articulate her feelings. And she does it so well. This is something I really appreciate because she has clearly done a lot of soul searching since season one. Bottom tis. Here I am. But kind of the point is, and we've touched upon this earlier, I am very much okay with with her telling Linda that she feels left out and that is the reason why she was acting out. This is a very good explanation that I can live with and the fact that she can spell it out this way also made me happy. So, non-surprising, I have issues with this scene. Several and multitude issues. (laughs) Multitude. So, point A. Why it is strongly implied and hinted at, it is not yet confirmed that Linda and Amanadila had sex. I think that Linda's face pretty much confirmed it. It's not confirmed, it's not verbalized, it's not proven. It is heavily implied. It wasn't Lina confirmed. And I feel that this is done deliberate, and I'm gonna get into that in a moment. But point one, it has not been confirmed, it's only heavily implied. I also agree with you that Mace verbalizing her feelings is an amazing character growth moment. And in itself, this is something that I love and adore and appreciate. And it is brilliant and perfect and it's wonderful. But the way they put this in this situation and the reaction that is given to her is a highly probable lie by her best and main friend. And for me, this is just setting Mace up to be punished for one of the biggest character growth moments Mace has experienced since episode one. And that makes me so angry because Mace deserves better to actually do this growth, to actually break through the habit of physical violence when you are emotionally hurt. And then your reward is that your best friend lies to your face. I am very angry with the show for destroying a beautiful female friendship because of a former and potential current love interest. Because it's toxic and it's a trope and I hate it and I don't want to see it on one of my favorite shows. Thus my rant endeth. (laughs) I'm just gonna say one thing to that and that is that in my personal opinion it is very clear that the sex has happened. The sex. (laughs) And henceforth... (laughs) It's a great word. (laughs) It is. And I very rarely get to use it in a sentence. Therefore, henceforth, Linda does lie to Mace and she does it not because of any malicious intention or anything. She does it because she is human. And I understand that you would rather have her being superhuman or whatever. Super therapist. Because that's what she usually is. But we have already established in a few episodes that Linda is a human being. She is not perfect. And she has done some mistakes before. Lies! This situation, as much of a pickle 
it's gonna become because this is gonna be a plot point sometime in future for sure so as much as I don't like the fact that she did lie to her I think that only makes sense and I can't imagine Maze's reaction if Linda would have if she would have admitted that she already slept with Imanadil we've talked enough about this whole thing never so let's get into our final scene my favorite scene of this entire episode is the penultimate scene every little second of this scene is perfect i very much enjoy seeing trisha helfer once again show us a different side of charlotte with crying in a bathroom stall, struggling with her life and not putting on a brave facade for a moment. And I mean, come on, which one of us hasn't cried in a bathroom stall before? And of course, Dan coming up. And I love Dan in this season so much because everything he says to her feels honest. Nothing of it feels condescending. And it's wonderful. When she comes out of the stall and they have this short moment where they look at each other and she goes, uh, Detective Espinosa, Dan. And it's just, I know I said it before, but this is something I want to see. Stop with the fucking triangle and peers and shit and everything. This is what I want. This feels organic. It's beautiful. And Dan is just such a good bean. Right? Honestly, I made plenty of mistakes. We know, Dan. We hated you for all of them. But I don't quit. Yeah, exactly. And that must count for something. It does. We now love you. We used to hate you, but now we love you because you're amazing. And then he says, at least you're trying, right? And yes, she is. She really, really is. This is sometimes this is all we need to hear. Yes, exactly. Sometimes the only thing we need to hear is, hey, at least you're trying, right? You're doing all you can and that is more than enough. Yes. You are enough. You can't do more than you can. Exactly. And that's so important to realize. And so this is also one of those moments which usually we get from therapy with Linda where you have actual real life lesson that you can take away from the show. This is the wholesomeness and the relevance of the show that I actually want and crave. And this has been missing from this season. And now that we got shown it again, I miss it even more. (laughs) Yeah. So as we leave the bathrooms, the last song of the episode starts to play. It's called in the shadows and it's by Amy's troop which this song was my backup for the devils in the music it is very good it's very emotional and while it plays we get to see lucifer looking over the bullpen and he sees charlotte walking wiping her tears we get pierce getting congratulated by the suits we get chloe looking at him with a smile and in this short moment i thought that lucifer is sad that nobody is paying attention to him my note is he seems to feel disconnected and then the camera turns on to him and we see him smile and in this moment I realize that he is waiting for the cinnamon to be alone in the interrogation room and he was waiting for people to not pay attention to him and we get this amazing smile from Tom Ellis from Lucifer from both of them as he heads towards the interrogation room And he walks in and I was convinced that the dude is dead, that the dude was killed by the officer or he killed himself. I was sure that he had used the pen to slit his own wrists because the way he was situated, you could not see his hands or the floor. But that is not what happens. I did not see that coming. 
I apologize in advance for my general notes because I have too many opinions. Are you trying to convince me that you have opinions after four hours of recording? I have too many opinions on this. I hate, 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 hate the cringy triangle that they are forcing onto us with Ames, Linda and Mace. Mezekin shows some fucking growth in talking about her feelings and what does she get for it? Lies as a reward. Also, I do not understand what the fuck the deal with Pierce is. Everyone seems super into him and and it really feels that we as a viewer are being pushed into him being the new love interest for Chloe since Lucifer has stopped actively pursuing her and is also too focused on the cinnamon. The only saving grace about this episode are Charlotte and Dan. I love her, he is the bestest bean and I just want all good things for them. Lucifer's powers are severely scaled down in my opinion and it's now really getting on my nerves. Ella was still a bit weird around Charlotte, but it was little enough and close enough to her actual character that I did not get annoyed with that. And all of this are just my character complaints. Story-wise, I am bored. I am so bored with this meta plot. It is incredibly obvious that the Cinnamon is not the Cinnamon, since the Cinnamon will be our big bad this season. And the character that we now have without eyes sitting in interrogation is utterly ridiculous. Gross. Yes, but not in any way, shape or form the humongous, powerful crime lord that Pierce described the cinnamon to be. Are you done? Yes. For me, this was a solid episode. They did not convince me they got the right guy. It just all seemed very simple. The way they set up the Cinnamon, as we said before, they made it seem like he's a completely different character than what we see in this bit. For one, he would never get his hands dirty. That is like the biggest red flag on this Cinnamon. Now, my guess is this is a fall guy somehow. But other than this, and the Pierce being the stalker, and the fact that Linda and Ames fucked we got Maze back, which is a very positive thing because we haven't seen her in a while. We got Dan being absolutely awesome and Charlotte is trying to learn to be good. And Ella is being extremely competent in her job. And Chloe is super smart regarding the case, at least in the basics. <laughs> Bottom line, Chloe doesn't think that the cinnamon is real at the beginning. And she says, we're going to treat this case as any other case, regardless if this is or not the cinnamon. She solves the case. She catches the person who was running around killing off Lucifer's old favors. The fact that in our opinion, this is not the cinnamon, she is not pretending or saying that it is the big bad that we've encountered before. So essentially, she is correct. She is smart and she is very competent. So even though this episode will not go nowhere <laughs> near the top 10, it did not make me want to throw rocks at the telly. And I envy you that. And with this, we say thank you for listening. If you are curious, find us on the various social media. We love interacting with you either over there or when you send us emails to lucifer at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get even more personal and have secret chats with us on our exclusive Discord server, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash taotpodcast. We have a whole bunch of different rewards from early release to hours of bonus content. Yes, ours. 
If that sounds like too much pressure, you can help the show by leaving positive iTunes reviews. They really help. Or telling all your friends about us. Because nothing beats a personal recommendation. Thank, Thank you. you! Bye! Bye.